Hey, all! It's Wednesday night, seven thirty, and welcome into the deep dive on Tim Hatch Live. Romans eight is finally here, and there are so many powerful truths. And I'm excited to get to this point in the book. You're not going to want to miss this episode because you got more power available than you think, Christian. You got way more powerful, way way more power available to you than you think. And I. I'm so happy to teach you this content. Let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us. Father, thank you for the chance to open your word. Thank you for the chance to hear it. May our hearts be ready to receive it. And may we see Jesus in it. Empower our lives to serve you and love you and think on the things that you have made available to us through Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's head into the book of Romans. All right, it is uh, Season 5, Episode 16 of the Deep Dive Bible Study, and we just want to do a little quick review. Remember last week we talked about, last week? No, last time we talked about the fact that there's a lot of things that come between us and our actions. There's feelings, there's beliefs, there's experiences that shape what we do. And then there is this cycle because the actions then shape our feelings, our, the actions shape our beliefs, the actions shape our experiences. This is the human condition. This is who we are, detached from Jesus, because sin has the dominant um, effect in our lives. Now, this is going to apply this, this week because we're going to talk about how what, what God does in Christ Jesus is he replaces, he replaces the power of sin okay, with the power of the Spirit. So now... The, the process of sanctification, the process of getting to become who we are in Christ Jesus and who God wants us to be is that now our actions are influenced through the Spirit. Spirit influences our feelings, our beliefs, and our experiences. And you're going to see this very powerfully. i got a powerful testimony for you. i got a powerful illustration for you. i got a hammer right here. You're going to see it all. You're going to see it all today. i got a lot of stuff on my desk i got to keep managed. And I'm so hopeful that I can get this stuff out to you very clearly. Remember, Paul left off with Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He said, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death, right? There's no way out of this vicious cycle. There's no way out of that vicious cycle except for Jesus Christ. And so the human heart, even the Christian, says, I need someone. Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death. And then the last thing I shared last week that I just kind of want to re-emphasize because it's important so that we build a foundation for where we're going today is that spiritual maturity is not an awareness that we're getting good, but rather that we are humbled and we are more aware than ever that we are far more sinful than we realize and we need more of Jesus and the Holy Spirit every single day. That's what spiritual maturity is. Be leery, my friends, of Christians who feel that they are getting better and they are doing better. No, it is... Not getting better, it is getting more dependent because we don't win this battle with sin, with temptation, with the world, with uh, our future, with our purpose, with, our, with, with how we wrestle with our past. We don't win that battle in the flesh. We win that battle through the Holy Spirit. So that was last time and last time's favorite comment. This is a new segment here on the Deep Dive. Want to give a shout out to you guys who comment because I love your comments down below. Uh, Darren Garcia said, the truth has to be told and never shared, and I appreciate it. When pastors take accountability to know what to share and not just what feels good for the moment, 
And I appreciate you, Darren, for saying that. So thank you for your comments. Let me know in the comments that you are here, where you're watching from. Subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you are giving the beard some love as we continue to con uh, bring this content to you. Like, share, subscribe. You know the whole deal. So we're going to go into Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about this, how the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, saves us from the body of death. And I am ready to talk about what it meant. Often called the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. Take your Bible out, open it up, because we're going to go through this for the next three episodes. We're going to cover 39 verses. You will see here, uh, it takes two flips of the page on the Bible cam to get to verse 39 of Romans chapter 8. And, and then when we get to Romans 9, watch out, big time theology coming at you. But this, these next three episodes, you're going to want to lean in for your own spiritual vitality. Okay, uh, diagnoses of the human condition from Romans 1 to Romans 7, and now prognosis through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel in Romans 8. And what you love about Romans 8 is that it begins, back to the Bible came, it begins with no condemnation, and, and, all right, and then it ends, <laughs> flipping, 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 <clears throat> with no separation, right? Verse 39, verse 38, I am sure that neither uh, death nor life, angels or demons, things present to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So it begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. It is a powerful chapter of the promises that we have, the assurance of salvation so that we can fight the good fight of faith and win. There are four sections to this chapter. I'll pop this up on the screen. Romans 8, 1 to 11, the victorious life made possible in the spirit. Romans 8, 12 to 17, our status as adopted children of God and heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 18 to 30, the new hope through groaning that will lead to final glory. Romans 8, 31 to 39, the absolute certainty of our security in God and unity with Christ. And I'm going to take those four sections and divide them up into three episodes. So this week, uh, next week, I will be back next week with the deep dive. And then the following week, and I believe we will be back uh, the three consecutive weeks for this content. So let's dig in. We're going to get through, I think, verse 11 today. Not sure exactly, but somewhere around there. Uh, verse 1, Romans chapter 8. Let's read. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, sweeter words have never been spoken for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, verse 2, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, when you study the Bible, here's a hint. I'm going to give you some tips. Recognize what words or phrases are repeated in the text. Secondly, recognize uh, conjunctive words or, or joining words. So back to the text, there's a joining word, isn't there, right here? There is therefore. So based on verse all that happened from chapters one to seven. Now he's going to do some stuff about who we are in Christ Jesus because he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, right? Back in chapter seven. So now because of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now, and this is a key word now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of spirit of life is that you're free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Couple of things repeat, don't they? Well, really one thing repeats here. In Christ Jesus repeats. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, let's talk about the now. Now signifies the age to come. The age has come. There is now. It has dawned. This is the dawning of a new age for those of you who walk in faith 
in Jesus Christ. Christians live in a new age. This is this is uh, all going to tie to the Old Testament in just a moment. And now we're going to have to understand. We're going to ha- we have to understand and realize that we are living in the the fu- the uh, fullness of time, the fulfillment of the ages. Paul talks about in Christ Jesus. The promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in us through Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Christians live in eternal justification. That's the that's what the term no condemnation means. There is no condemnation now in the age that we live in. It's eternal. There's no going back to condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is the guilt that you feel for sin. That the sadness, the depression, the defeat that comes upon the the human condition because of sin, because we break the law, because we even break our own laws, because we can't live up to our own expectations, right? There is therefore now no more of that. There's no judgment for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. To be in Christ Jesus, by the way, in Christ Jesus, this t- this term that gets repeated is the favorite term of the Apostle Paul as he refers to Christians. So there's only three times in the Bible where we are called Christians, and it was a derogatory term. It was a pejorative term to say, oh, little Christ is trying to be like Jesus from the pagans. Paul uses that and other scriptures use that, but it's really not the dominant term to refer to us in the scriptures. The most dominant term to refer to us in, in, in the New Testament is those in Christ Jesus. That's important because we are not just Christians. We are in Christ. We are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, and we are judicially, legally, in the courts of heaven, declared not guilty by God. This is an existential reality that you must grasp as a Christian if you're going to win in the spiritual fight with sin, because you cannot win your spiritual fight with sin if you are constantly feeling guilt over the sin of your past or present or even what sins you might make in the future. Um, this is just the most profound statement in the book of Romans. Martin D. Martin Lloyd joined D. Martin Lloyd Jones, a preacher from the last century, said that most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. We keep going back to works righteousness. We keep going back to religious practice. We keep depending on our efforts to earn no condemnation. But what I am trying to tell you, what Paul is telling you here, is that there is now no condemnation and there never will be condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because what Christ Jesus has done has eternally secured our standing before God. Now another key word. And again, remember, how do you study the Bible? Here's a tip. Study the words that are repeated. Another key word in this text is, uh, change my color, the Spirit. The Spirit is mentioned in this chapter of Romans, Romans 8, 20 times. 20 times. This is important. Why? Because outside of Romans 8, uh, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is only referenced, I think, uh, eight or six times outside of Romans 8. So again and again and again, we're going to see that it is all about the Spirit. It is all about the Spirit. In fact, interesting little tidbit. Romans 1 to 7, the word death is the dominant term used by the Apostle Paul. Now when he turns the page to Romans 8, it's Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Now let's take a look at the very first use of the word Spirit. The law of the Spirit. Now that word law has referred to several things uh, in in the book of Romans so far. The commandment, okay, that's number one. But it's also been used to refer to a principle, and it's also been referred to you refer used to refer to a power. 
So this word law in Romans has been referring to the commandments, the principles of God, and the power of the law, or the power of sin, or the power of death, right? Now he says the law of the Spirit. So here's what he's saying. He's literally saying that the power of the Spirit is stronger than the power, law, of sin and death. Christians, you have to understand this. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you if you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and received him as Savior and Lord and surrendered your life to him, right? You now have a power in you that is stronger than sin and death. So you are now able to walk in more righteousness and holiness than ever before in your life because that power in you, God the, the, God the Spirit, is now stronger in you than sin that dwells in you and death that threatens you. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, going to refer to him again, said this, the difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something that he should not do in his relationship with his wife. He is not breaking the law. He is wounding the heart of his wife. It is no longer a legal matter. It is a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally when he sins against his wife. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, this is now something much more, much worse than a legal condemnation. He says, I would rather offend against a law of the land objectively outside me than hurt someone whom I love. What's he saying there? He, he's saying that this new status that you have with God, no longer a um, relationship where you're trying to obey to get his approval. That's what non-believers do. That's what works righteousness is. Okay. You are accepted in the beloved. You are now adopted as a child of God. And now you are loved by God and you are living in the love of God. Jesus Christ himself says, abide in my love, right? Now we have this love relationship with the Lord. And when we sin, it's not this legal thing. It's not this, you know, rebellion against a state, this impersonal state order. No, it's a relationship that we are hurting. That's what our motivation is in obedience to God. We don't want to hurt his heart. We don't want our hearts to be separated from him. We don't want to create a distance between our father and ourselves. And this is a profound, important uh, point so that we understand how to walk in relationship with God and away from the relationship that we used to have with the law. The law just exposed our sins. It stirred unrighteousness. It stirred wickedness in us. You know, it's that old idea. I've said it countless times so far in, the, in Romans 1 to 7. Is don't touch that and immediately we want to touch it because the law has told us not to and we are immediately drawn into rebellion. Now we have been brought into a new relationship, not a relationship of law, but a relationship of love. And love is the motivating factor that the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, Romans 5, has been shed abroad. The Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. New relationship. Amen. That's just the first two verses. <laughs> Let's get into the next two verses. Romans 8, 3 to 4. For God has done. Now, there's no condemnation. Why? Because God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do so we that has been diagnosed extensively so far and that's what paul talked about in romans chapter 7 i can't do what i want to do and what i don't want to do i keep on doing because i'm because i'm i'm understand i'm a fleshly person okay so the law is weakened by my flesh and the law could not do what god has done but god has done he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin now little notation in my bible should be in your bible that uh, th that could also be read in the original Greek as God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. That's important. 
that Jesus Christ is the final sin offering, the final sacrifice for sins. Okay, verse 4. In order that, I'm oh, sorry, for he condemned sin in the flesh with that sin offering. In order that, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is another mouthful. This is why this one chapter is going to take three episodes, because there's so much truth backed into these verses. God did what we could not do. That's the first thing. That Jesus came and died for our sins, and he took upon himself the condemnation that our sins deserved. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying in your place. This is why in Matthew chapter 27, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God in Christ Jesus, when, I'm sorry, when Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross, he, he became sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ bore our sins on the cross, became sin on the cross, and, and was forsaken by the Father in that moment. And you say, and by the way, he was an eternal being, and so that eternal relationship with the Father was severed momentarily. And therefore, he, in that one moment, because he's an eternal being, he bore in himself, this is, gonna, this is powerful, the eternal separation from God that was ours in hell, was to be ours in hell, and is no longer ours because he took it for us on the cross. Isn't that awesome? That's why people say, oh, how could one momentary sacrifice cover all of our eternal condemnation in hell? Because Jesus Christ is an eternal being. And in the eternal being, in the eternal one, um, our sins were eternally paid for in that momentary separation from God. This is why John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's John 1.29. In becoming sin and being forsaken, Jesus deleted your condemnation. And that condemnation, again, is the judgment of God for your sins. Christian, hear me very carefully. And this is so important. Sin, not you, is condemned in Christ's death. Hear that again. Sin, not you, is condemned in, Christ, in Christ's death. Now, don't stop there because that's just the beginning of this passage. Let's go back to verse 4. In order that, and I tell my church all the time, please look for the so that's and the in order that's in your Bible because there is profound truth to be had. So Jesus did this. Jesus became the final sin offering, condemning sin in the flesh, took upon himself our condemnation on the cross, became sin, right? All the stuff for a purpose. In order that the righteous, what's the purpose? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is a purpose to Jesus's final sin offering. And the purpose is your holiness. The purpose is your holiness. You, you, you can't afford to miss this because it's not just this idea of, um, oh good, uh, my sins are paid for, so let me go walk in sin. No. Now I've got a purpose in Christ Jesus. And the purpose, you know, a lot of Christians get all worked up about, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Here's your purpose. Are you ready? Your purpose is to be holy. Your purpose is to be set apart. Your purpose is to be different from this world. Your purpose is to be uniquely devoted to Jesus Christ and God for the rest of your life. And the details of that, I really don't know. I, I don't know. All I know is that you're called to be holy. You're called to be 
the righteous requirement of law. That's holiness, okay? The law was intended to bring people to holiness, right? To, well, really to reveal the holiness of God and how far we can't reach the holiness of God. But now that that holiness is, is fulfilled in us and we are holy. We are holy. The word in Latin, sanctus, is where we get saints from. That's why living believers, not just dead believers, are saints. That's why Peter calls us saints. That's why Paul calls us saints. That's why most of the New Testament refers to us as saints because we are holy ones. And then this is another reality of sin. Sin is a frustrating deterrent to fulfilling your purpose of being holy. You want, this is why a Christian can never be satisfied with sin because it's frustrating the inward purpose that the Holy Spirit is exhibiting and is expressing in you and through you. So you've got a purpose, the purpose is to be holy in Christ Jesus. Moving on, verse five. For those who live according to the flesh, keywords here are gonna be repeated, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Again, what's repeated? That's how you study the Word of God. Repeated words have an important meaning. So the key word in this text is, of course, set their minds. And I say word because it is one word. This, when, when you translate Greek into English several times, this happens. One word has to become several words. So this one word in Greek, phroneio, is set their minds. It means to ponder. Uh, it means to let one's mind dwell upon, to keep thinking about, to fix one's attention on. This is important because you are either living according to the flesh as an unbeliever, setting your mind on, pondering, um, dwelling on, you keep thinking about, your, your intentions on sin, how to serve yourself, how to get what you want, how to you know, fight for your rights, how to, you know, live according to your pleasures and what your flesh desires. That's what the people who live according to the flesh do. They set their minds on that stuff. The thing, the, the believer sets his mind, phroneo, phroneo, on the things of the spirit. Notice that phrase, on the things of the spirit. This, there are two minds in mind here. And when we say mind, we think of it as a noun, but it's actually a verb. This is a verb uh, in, in both instances here in Romans 8, 5. Now that's important because you are right now setting your mind, you are thinking, you are pondering something, either what you want your flesh to do or what the Spirit has revealed to you. Archbishop uh, of Canterbury, William Temple from last century said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. <laughs> it's what you're thinking about when nobody asks you to think. Okay, now, don't take the phrase as doctrine. It's just a phrase, okay? But what is he saying? He's saying that's what's revealing what's going on inwardly. It's that your mind draws towards these things. Now, Christians, again, still wrestle with doing what they don't want to do. Paul talked about it in Romans 7. So the question then becomes, what are we supposed to set our minds on? What are, what are we supposed to set our minds on, Right? And, and that's going to be important uh, as, we, as we get to this, the rest of this text. But before we get there, we've got to move on into the passage. Because I got, I got answers for you, and we'll get there in just a moment. But verse 6 first. For, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Three things. It's hostile to God. This is the mind that focuses on the flesh. Okay. This is, by the way, the natural unbeliever's mind and the carnal Christian's mind, the, the Christian who is just continually walking in disobedience. So your, 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 your mind is hostile to God, number one. It does not submit to God's law, number two. And it cannot submit to God's law. Okay, so those who are in the flesh, the Bible says, cannot please God. And I'm going to tell you how Christians can also be in the flesh. A lot of, a lot of theologians disagree with me on this, but I, I, I believe that we can be in the flesh even as Christians because what we do is we give ourselves over to sin and then, and then we become hostile to God and there's a little bit of a rebellion and the more we do it, the more we're like the prodigal son who keeps going further and further and further and lower and lower and lower away from the father's house and he ends up in the pigsty. And remember, pigs were unclean animals according to the Jews and so he's as far down. He wants to eat what the pigs are eating. He wants to eat what unclean animals want to eat because he kept walking in the flesh. Well, Christians can get there too. But they, the good news is, is they can come back in an instant, okay? So now Paul outlines the fleshly mind. It's set on the flesh. It's set on death. By the way, again, death dominates Romans 1 to 7. The spirit dominates Romans 8. So what, what does this mean? It's hostile to God. It resists God. Uh, Romans 5.10 talks about how we, are, we were enemies of God before we were Christians. Ephesians 2 says that there was a dividing wall of hostility between us and the Lord and us and each other, Right? Secondly, it does not submit to God's law. And then thirdly, it cannot, right? Hear me on this one. It is not that unbelievers will not believe in Christ. It is that they cannot believe in Christ. You understand that? Let me say that again. It is not that unbelievers will not believe in Christ. In other words, it's not that they don't want to. It's that they literally cannot because they're in the flesh. They cannot. It's an impossibility term. They cannot please God, they cannot submit to God because they are outwardly and inwardly hostile to God. Now you say, well, I know a lot of non-believers who believe in God. You know, they just don't believe in Christ and they don't believe in Christianity. Okay. <laughs> Let me simplify that for you. They believe in a God of their own making. They believe in a God who looks a lot like them. They believe in a God who agrees with them about everything and thinks like them and has the same political point of view. And so when God's law is revealed, when they hear the scriptures, suddenly they start to shirk at it. I don't like that. I don't like, no, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. Because they aren't actually converted to Christ. They just have this imagined view of God that is really a, a, a self-projection on the divine that comes from their carnal hearts because they cannot, they cannot submit to God. I'll give you another text to prove what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, the natural person cannot or does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is, again, look at the words of impossibility, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is the mindset on the flesh. You, you are hostile to God. You will not submit to God because you cannot submit to God. The unbeliever does not disbelieve because he will not. He disbelieves because he cannot. This is so important. This is so important. So back to verse six. Let's put it back on the screen. For the to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, bringing you back to the question that I asked just a little while ago. What should we phroneio upon, right? What should we dwell? What should we set our minds on as believers. Now, some of you are going to do an oversimplification here. And I want to, I want you to be wary of this because you're going to make this comment. Oh, I know what I should dwell on. I should dwell on going to church and I should dwell on 
Christian-y things and I should dwell on, you know, worship music and I should dwell on the word of God and I should dwell on, you know, religious practices and I should definitely dwell on heaven. Okay, nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with those things. But can I just inform you that Paul, for the rest of this book in Romans, is actually going to tell us what we should dwell on. <laughs> and it's not religious practices. It's, it's spiritual truths. And I, <laughs> profound difference. Just from this chapter, I can give you examples of what he's going to tell us to dwell on. This is what you're going to dwell on as a Christian. And here's, uh, let's go to the Bible cam for this. Like, for instance, in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God, uh, children of God. Dwell on that. Dwell on the fact I am a child of God. In the morning, I am a child of God. In the evening, I'm a child of God. Right now, I am a child of God. That's what you should dwell on. Uh, another one is uh, Romans 20, uh, 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we have to pray for, so we don't know what to think, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And then it says this, and he who searches the hearts and minds uh, of the Spirit, because, uh, search, uh, sorry, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, what is the, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So meditate and think upon the fact that you have access to God and your heart and your mind are being shaped right now by the Holy Spirit and you should have confidence to enter into God's presence. Another thing, backing up, kind of out of order, but nonetheless. Verse 18, I consider that the present sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us, right? So there's something better coming instead of what is happening now, in place of what is happening now. And these are the things, and that's just cracking the surface this is the tip of the iceberg for the rest of Romans, where he's going to get to talking about our gifts in Romans chapter 12 and how we should deal, you know, live with each other and how we should, you know, be kind and gracious to one another. Those are the things that we should be focusing on, dwelling on, phroneioing on as we have our minds set on the spirit. The things that God has revealed in the word. Now, now, this is so important because everybody has life happen to them. <laughs> Christians have life happen to them in many of the same ways that non-Christians do. The same realities happen to non-Christians. Christians get cancer, non-Christians get cancer. Christians have uh, the death of a loved one, non-Christians have the death of a loved one. Jesus said that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The difference is up here. The difference is what we are dwelling on. The unbeliever sees cancer and, okay, this is it. I guess that's the end of my life. The, the believer sees cancer and says, either God is going to heal me through doctors and through miraculous power or through miraculous power, or I'm going to be with the Father. <laughs> that's a beautiful promise, right? That's the difference between the mind set on the flesh and the mind set on the spirit. Because the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It keeps us rooted in him. That even when we sin and run away like the prodigal son, how many of my father's servants have it far better than I? I will go back to my father, right? The spirit is bearing witness. I'm still children. I can go back to the father. Uh, a great uh, poem from Ella, Wilcox, Ella Wheeler Wilcox says this. One ship drives east, another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. 
Tis the set of sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the seas are the way, ways of fate, and we voyage along through life. Tis the set of a soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. Now, that's not a Christian poem, but it is a poem about this, that it is about what's up here that determines how you respond to what's out here. And you as a Christian have the Holy Spirit speaking to you, revealing to you, reminding you that you are children of the Most High God. You have access in His presence. And He hears and prays with you. Powerful, powerful truths yet to come in Romans chapter 8. We're just uh, scratching the surface. Let's get to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If, this verse is going to just blow you away right here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Okay. This is all in the indicative mood in Greek. The indicative mood means that these texts are indicating what's reality for us. We are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. Um, we have the spirit of Christ. Uh, the spirit of Christ is in us. The body is always going to die. There's no stopping that. But the spirit is inside of us, bringing life to who we are, to our inner person, to our soul, to our psyche in the Greek. Right. So this is changing who we are. This is revealing who we are. We are not yet being told what we should do in Romans 8. We will be told after this verse. We will be told what to do, but not yet. We're just being told who we are now because of the Holy Spirit. Now, back to the original principle from today's episode of the Deep Dive. How do we study the Bible? We observe what words are repeated. So in Christ was earlier, uh, and then phroneo, or set their minds on, was later. And now in verses 9 to 11, in these three verses, six times, the Spirit is referenced. Okay. Six times, one, two, three, four, five, six, six times, oh, seven, seven times the spirit is referred to in three verses. I might, it might be more. I might've missed one. Let me know in the comments below if I missed one. Anyway, so the word for spirit in Greek is pneuma, N-E-P-N, sorry, pneuma. I believe that's it. Yeah, pneuma. Now that pneuma word, uh, we get a lot of English words from it. We get pneumonia from it because what is pneumonia? It's, a, it's an attack on your wind, your breath. There's another way we use it. Uh, pneumatic. All, all the tool guys. Ar, ar, ar. Tim the tool man Taylor. Okay. <laughs> well, all of our tools can be pneumatic tools. Now is illustration time for you. This is, this is going to be cool. So <laughs> I, I did some early work today and, um, I got with me, let me see if you can see it up here. I got myself a pneumatic tool. See that there? That's like an air compressor. That air compressor is piping uh, compressed air into this stapler gun. This is a pneumatic stapler. This is a, well, actually it's a nail gun, not a stapler. It's a pneumatic nail gun because the air pressure, the wind pressure through this hose from that tank is pushing the nails through the ejection slot, whatever it is here, um, into the wood. Now, here's the illustration. I got with me right now uh, some shiplap. Shiplap. I got some shiplap. And, and the reason why is because 
I want to show you how frustrating it is to try and nail this nail, this little finish nail into this board with my own strength. This is, the, this is what I call works righteousness. Now it will go through, but it is going to take, <laughs> it's going to take a long time to get that nail through that wood. Or should I say, shiplap. Okay, so the shiplap is resisting my efforts. This is a lot of you. This is a lot of you. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying, I'm trying. And you're just, and you're missing too. Look at how many times I'm missing the nail. Okay? Enter the pneumatic stapler. I hope to God this works. My, my stapler is kind of funky, so let's see. Or illustration ruined. Power of the air, the pneuma. Ready? Boom. Just like that. I'm so glad that that worked. Isn't that cool? Let's get another, let's get another angle. Boom. See that? Look at how quick. Boom. 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 Look at this. Look at the advancement of the effort. And all I'm doing is just pulling the trigger. That, my friends, is the difference between your effort and God's spirit in your life as you try to obey and do what he wants you to do. The Holy Spirit, again, putting the scripture back up, spirit of God dwells in you. And then look at this last line in verse 11. This is, this is worth the price of admission right here because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, how did Jesus come back from the dead? The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. It dwelt in his physically dead body and it came back into him and it went up into him and it raised him back to life. And that spirit that raised Christ Jesus dwells in you and it will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the pneumatic stapler of your father thrusting you into advancement and victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. All of this was prophesied about in the Old Testament. The Jews, the nation of Israel were a test case in the fact that none of us can truly obey God apart from him. I will bring you to Jeremiah because Jeremiah is an important text written right before the exiles were going into Babylon. The Jews were going to be exiled actually into Babylon. And he says to them, as they are being dragged off into exile, ripped from their homes and their country in Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, behold, the days are coming to declares the Lord where I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them out of the, uh, Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, look at this, so cool, these promises, my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, no condemnation, and I will remember their sins no more, eternal 
no con- inter- eternal guiltlessness in Christ Jesus. And Jeremiah, again, writing right before the exile. So they're going off into exile for 70 years, and they're going to come back, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and Jesus is going to come into that temple. They're going to reject Jesus. Jesus is going to go to the cross outside the city gate, and he's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise again, rise again. And then uh, he's going to tell the disciples right before that, by the way, what does he say? He's going to say at the Last Supper, this this cup that is poured out is a, is the new covenant in my blood. So what Jeremiah is talking about, this is a direct reference back to Jeremiah, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. So when Jesus says that, they're like, oh, wait a second, didn't Jeremiah talk about that? Yeah, Jeremiah was talking about that. He is fulfilling that promise that the new covenant is going to be made in his blood. And then what happens after he dies and he rises again? On the third day, he sees his disciples, John chapter 20. He comes and he appears to them, says, peace to you. As the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the pneuma, receive the power of God. And this is also prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, Ezekiel is also another exilic prophet. Uh, Ezekiel prophesies after Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about what's going to happen as they go into exile. Ezekiel talks about what's going to happen as they come out of exile. And he says this, I'm going to take you from all the nations. I'm going to bring you into your land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanliness, no kind of nation, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and I will put, and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you Numa, that's not the word, but you know, the power, the effectiveness, the advancement. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, this just fires me up. Oh man, it fires me up. Do you know why? Because apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do it. And this is what Jesus came to do, to transform you from the inside out. It's his work, giving you a new heart, giving you the spirit to cause you to walk in his statutes, to want to do what he wants you to do. Testimony time. Testimony time. I had a lady in my church get baptized last weekend. Powerful testimony that illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. Her name is Lisa. You're going to watch this testimony. Ready? My life was completely falling apart. Um, I was into drugs, drinking. My marriage ended. I was flailing around like a fish out of water, it was, um, I had no direction. That first Tuesday, I had gone up to the stage at the end and I was prayed over. And when I opened my eyes, Pastor Tim was right there and said that Jesus told him that I'm going through a lot of things. He just had that feeling that there was a lot weighing on me and that he forgave me. And in that moment, I really felt the spirit come into me and my life hasn't been the same since. Just the way I view people, um, the way I want to help people, the emotion I get when I'm singing, when I truly feel the spirit, not only when I'm here, but in my day-to-day life. Like right now, I just feel the spirit and the tears just come. It's not sad. It's overwhelming happiness. I want to get baptized because I just want to show how much I love God and that I've come to him completely and wholly. 
That just basically sums up exactly what I'm talking about with you right now. It literally was a word-for-word verbatim of Ezekiel chapter 36. That God puts his spirit in us. And he causes us to change and to walk in his statutes and in his rules. There's no way you can do it in your own strength. Put the hammer down. Put the hammer down. You're only going to make a big mess. You're only going to keep missing. And God doesn't, he never set it up for you to do it like that. The Holy Spirit has come into you. So the Holy Spirit, summing this up, provides assurance of justification, power to obey and desire to obey and indwelling resurrection inside of you. There is a new life. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will dwell in you. Amen. That is what it meant. Let's talk about what it means. You're just getting to what it means now? How long is this episode going to be? Trust me, it's not going to be much longer because the digging the truth out is the most important thing. Then we can make application. So what it means for us, okay, friends, is this. We are freed forever from the guilt of sin, the powerlessness of self, and the emptiness of life without God. We are freed forever. Please do not miss the term forever in the text because it's there on purpose. Romans 8.1, no condemnation. Romans 8.3, God has done what the law could not do. Romans 8.4, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Romans 8.9, the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit, the spirit, the pneuma. Okay, you don't have emptiness anymore. Christian, you, you are not empty. Christian, you are not powerless. Christian, you are not guilty. Powerful. The problem is we keep going back to the hammer. We keep going back to our efforts. Christians do this notoriously (laughs) and repeatedly, and you've got to stop. New Testament and Greek expert Robert Mounts says it like this. He says, it follows that if condemnation as an objective reality has been removed, there is no legitimate place for condemnation as a subjective experience. To insist on feeling guilty is but another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. How deeply embedded in human nature is the influence of works righteousness. Notice what he says. He says, you think you should feel guilty because that's another way. Oh, if I just feel guilty, I'm going to help God out with forgiving me. No, you're not. You've actually taken responsibility from the spirit and put it upon your own feelings to produce obedience based on feeling bad about what you did. And you're back to that vicious cycle of sin shaping your feelings, sin shaping your beliefs, sin shaping your experiences so that your actions are sinful because you put yourself in charge of changing you. See how, see how this matters? Because if you trust in the Holy Spirit, and Paul's going to get to this in Romans 8, inevitably the victory, ultimately the victory is yours. But you've got to stop going back to works righteousness. You've, you've got to put the hammer down. You've got to pick up the spirit. Now you say, well, how do I do that? Again, it, you, it's really something that as a Christian, you can simply just say something to the Lord. Father, right now I'm feeling tempted. Right now I, I'm, I'm empty. Right now I'm feeling these ways. But your spirit is residing in me. And right now I ask that the Holy Spirit, who is interceding for me right now with word, with groans that words cannot express, will empower me to think freely, fully, and righteously. 
And you just pray. You just speak to the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says pray without ceasing. Because when you pray, you are partnering with the Holy Spirit to shape how you feel, to shape what you believe, and to shape what you do. Now, let's talk about why it matters. Why it matters is simple. Because you got to let go of condemnation, friend. You'll never get beyond Romans 8 until you let go of condemnation in your life. What I'm talking about is the guilt trips that you put yourself on. Some of you are on a guilt trip. That's like a 20-year trip. (laughs) You're going around the world on a bicycle, okay? Three areas of condemnation that we want to talk about. Self-condemnation, number one. I can't forgive myself. Okay, that is the most ridiculously self-righteous, pious statement in human history. I can't forgive myself. If God forgives you, who are you to not forgive yourself? When you say, I can't forgive myself, you're saying, I'm a better judge of my sin than God. When God has freely forgiven you in Christ Jesus, he, he forgives you the moment you confess your sins. <laughs> and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 8. So you saying, I can't forgive myself is saying, well, God doesn't really realize how much I need to pay for my sins or somebody else really needs to pay for. And you're also diminishing the sacrifice of Christ. You are not a better judge of your sin than God. So get over it and forgive yourself because God has already forgiven you. Number two, archaeological condemnation. That's when you go dig up the past. That's when you go dig up all the things you did from from your old life, from your former life, maybe from your infancy in Christ, maybe last week, maybe last night. Look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. You know, these are the people who say, I just can't get over the fact that I did those things. I, can't, I just can't believe that it was me. Yeah, it was you. But good news, it's no longer you. Stop talking about who you were. Start talking about who you are and who you're going to become. And then the last kind of condemnation you got to watch out for is demonic condemnation or satanic condemnation. You are worthless and helpless. You are such a loser. You are no good. You are a failure. You are a sinner. You are terrible. God is done with you. And, and this, you got to be careful about this because the devil's always doing that you, 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 you stuff. Got to be careful because he will attack you and condemn you. And you have to take authority over him in the name of Jesus Christ. You have to say, in Jesus Christ's name, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Get away from me. The best way to stop the devil from reminding you about your past is to remind him of his future. Ooh, that's preachable right there. <laughs> so don't let him remind you of your past. Remind the devil of his future. Why it matters, couple questions. Listen to these questions, powerful questions. How would you live if you knew you could not fail? How would you live? You, you would change everything because you can't fail. You're going to win. The victory is inevitable. It is ultimate in your life. You are more than conqueror. We're going to get to that also in Romans chapter 8. You wouldn't live in fear of making mistakes because you know the Lord's got you. Number two, how would you live if you knew you had limitless power? Because you do. No, not limitless human power, limitless spirit, Holy Spirit power to do what God wants you to do. Human power is what you want you to do. The Holy Spirit's power is what God wants you to do. And you have limitless Holy Spirit power available to you through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And number three, how would you live if you knew that God never leaves you because he doesn't? And he won't. He won't. These things change. This stuff changes how we live. We live from this deeply embedded trust that that God is working in us through the Holy Spirit and changing us into brand new people. So summing this up, in your fight with sin, Romans 7 stuff, in your fight with sin because of Jesus Christ, you have freedom from guilt and shame. You have power, you have the power of God, the Holy Spirit is available. You have fullness in God. You are, the, the, the righteous requirement of the law is fully met in you. You are holy. 
in Christ Jesus, and you have a guarantee of victory. These are the realities of the Christian's life. And this is very important because I want to one more time rehearse what we talked about last time we were together. Because if you remember, and this was very important, that in our struggle with sin, you got to tie, you got to tie Romans 7 to Romans 8 here because Romans 7, the struggle with sin, Romans 8, the answer to the struggle, the, the, the solution, the spirit. Remember what we said last time we were together, that the greatest benefit to our struggle with sin is to teach us to rely more and more on God and less and less on ourselves. So this is what we are relying on, the Holy Spirit that is dwelling inside of us. The Holy Spirit is alive and dwelling inside of us. And now I'm going to set aside Tim. I'm going to set aside my flesh. I'm going to set aside my works righteousness. And I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, have control. A very simple prayer that I've told many, many people to pray is simply this. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Get yourself your pneumatic stapler, (laughs) your pneumatic nail gun. Get yourself God's power. Get yourself hooked up to the spe- to the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you one more time, as things fall all over the place on my desk here, of the promise from First Peter, chapter one, Second Peter, chapter one. His divine power. It all begins there. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has granted us precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That, my friend, is your promise in the Holy Spirit. And we're just one third of the way through Romans chapter eight. We've got two more episodes to talk about this. It's just gonna get better. So do me a favor, like the video, share the video on your Facebook feed, on your Twitter feed, somewhere, share the video for me. Subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell so that you can get notified whenever we go live. And I've got a special surprise for you. Are you ready? Tomorrow, I'm feeling I'm feeling motivated. Tomorrow, a bonus edition of Ten Questions with Tim. Bonus. I know it's usually one Thursday a month. Well, I just we had such a good time last week, and we had such a mess too because of the power outage that happened here. Well, we got ourselves a battery backup. It's not going to happen tomorrow, and I want to join you at lunch. So get your lunch and get online at YouTube.com/slash/TimHatchLive. And ask your questions below or at ask at timhatchlive.com. Send your questions. I'm also going to have the live chat on the screen and we're going to have some chat back and forth. We're just going to hang. If nobody has any questions, we're just going to hang. I, I just, I enjoy this, bringing this content to you. I enjoy these episodes. I enjoy teaching you the word of God. And I enjoy, most importantly, speaking to your situation where you are right now. So God bless you guys. I will be back tomorrow and then next Tuesday for the deep end. It's been wonderful to be with you here tonight. And may God empower you in the Holy Spirit to walk in the Holy purpose to which he has called you. God bless you. Take care.